This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, it's Andrew Harrison here. Remember, we're doing a listener survey to find out what you think of the bunker, what we're doing well, and what we could be doing better. If you fill it in and let us know your thoughts, you'll be entered into a draw to win one of five Bunker t-shirts. The link is in the show notes to this episode. Why not do it while you're listening to the podcast? You'll be helping us out in a big way. Now, on with your regularly scheduled podcast. Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Sean Pattenden. Now, if you're to read the press, holidays in 2022 seem to mean queues, delays and many cancellations. Post-COVID, people are desperate to get away, but at present, our travel industry seems anything but futuristic. However, technology and engineering is changing fast. Alongside climate change and geopolitical factors, by 2035, tourism will look very different. Will we all be going to Mars on solar-powered aerodromes in just over 10 years' time? Or sub-aquatic hotel experiences with no staff and a locally sourced buffet? Or maybe we'll be cycling everywhere. Tom Hall is Vice President of Lonely Planet, the world's largest travel guide book publisher. Tom explores the world for a living. Hello, Tom, and welcome to The Bunker. Hi, thank you for having me. A pleasure. Um, I'm going to start with a big one. Post-COVID, what's actually changed for the travel industry? Well, everything has happened all at once is probably the best way of, of understanding it. After two years of you know, prolonged period of not very much going on, which was a huge adjustment, and then really sort of stop-start for two tourism seasons. We're in the middle of a mad time now. <laughs> Every, everyone wants to travel. Uh, yes. I think we've got the equivalent of 40 years growth in terms of passenger numbers in wow. under a year. So if you look at last year versus this year. Um, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised that there are a few issues with <laughs> cancellations, with, right. with airports, with queues, with passports, all that kind of stuff. Okay, well, yeah, you put that into perspective now. But what has changed in relation to people's attitude to travel? You say that people are desperate to get away, but other things must have changed, surely? Absolutely. Um, I think that there have been things that have been hiding behind COVID that, mm -hmm. that were there all along. Um, an awareness of, of the impact of a lot of things that we do in the world, but, but going on holiday be, being one of them. The obvious example is I'm, I'm sure that many of us know people who say, well, I'm just not flying anymore. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not going to get on a plane. And and then I think there's also this this awareness of um, maybe in the past we were just doing things without a, a great regard for the people in the places that we were going to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, very, very much me as a sort of, you know, white British guy going striding all over the world and thinking, oh, aren't I being intrepid doing this? Well, not really being intrepid if I'm, if I'm going somewhere where lots of other people live and they and they do the things that I'm going to do every day. Um, and, and, you know, maybe the job of um, an organisation like Lonely Planet or like Travel Writers Everywhere is, is slightly different. 
from mm. what it was in the past. You know, we need to be making sure that we have a variety of voices reflecting that that travel, I think, is, is a good thing for all of us to do, but it has to be done in a considerate way. And it, and it has to be done in a, in, in a way that reflects that the world is a very varied place. Mm. I want to ask philosophically, though, do people need holidays? Do we have a different um, understanding of what holiday is as we would have done 50 years ago? I think people need different experiences and exposure to as many perspectives as as they possibly can. The longer I go on working in an industry that advises people how to go and have a nice time is fundamentally what we're what we're here to do. Um, Mm. The less convinced I am that this traditional idea of what a holiday is, is something that a lot of people need of of going and and being on a beach somewhere for two weeks. Mm -hmm. I I think there's actually a, a much smaller number of people who really get a lot out of that than they than they would have in the past. And I think the world sort of agrees with me because one of the things that that's happened over the over the last 20 years it's just been this incredible growth in the popularity of all sorts of different niche activities that you can do when you're traveling whether you're going to go and you know take a cookery course or take part in a carnival or, or or something amazing like that around the world you know travel on a particular type of transport that you've always wanted to do go and investigate your family history these these are all things that people do under this broader headline of holidays there was a piece in them in one of the travel supplements this weekend about wild swimming hiking holidays where essentially you wear a wetsuit and you trudge in your soggy wetsuit from river to lake to Mm. sea to whatever over hills along the way I think that would have been a mad prospect generation ago that someone would actually pay money to do that it's actually a very trendy thing to do now Mm -hmm. Um, I mean I was reading only just today that the price of holidays will obviously go up because of fuel prices, for instance, being one of the factors. Um, does that mean that we'll be travelling less? I, I heard another um, statistic cited that people would take a holiday every four or five years instead. This summer, what we're seeing is this shake off the shackles of, mm. of, the, of the COVID era and go and do those trips. You know, I, I did this myself at Easter, went to, went to Central America. And the fact that, I, that the flights got cancelled, I mean, I had to rebook them and they cost a bit more. Mm. Um, I, I just went, all right, I'm just going to do that because, you know, it, it's, it's time and I, and I feel really urgent. It's something that, that I want to do. Um, I think a lot of people have that take about this, this portion of time. It is that that attitude is colliding with this cost of living issue. Mm-hmm. It is actually something where you can you can bring the cost down quite substantially. Um, you know, we have seen a huge growth in popularity of all kinds of different types of camping. It's another area where there's been great <laughs> right. innovate great innovation, and yeah. I'm sure we can debate the you know the goods and bads of, of, of camping in this country for long periods of time. But people love it, and I think that that's an example where um, you would take a different tack on things the idea i think that you might say we're going to save up and every four to five years do a big trip mm-hmm. in inverted commas yeah. i think that idea does have some merit but we're into an unpredictable time yeah i've been trying to look up the most popular tourist destinations and there are differing views on this but the one that i've found i want to ask you so apparently currently number one is going to see the eiffel tower in paris and then we get the Colosseum in Rome, Statue of Liberty in New York, and it goes down. And number 12 is Stonehenge. Is this really what people are going on holiday to do? Go and look at cities. 
probably by pure numbers. Um, Paris is an incredibly popular destination. New York is an incredibly popular destination. And if you haven't been there before, you're at least going to stop by the Eiffel Mm -hmm. Tower. Um, The Statue of Liberty, I reckon, yes, definitely. I mean, you know, domestic tourism in America is is enormous um, Mm -hmm. and New York is is a key destination there. Um, So that is true and it and it and it has been true for a very long period of time but what we hadn't seen in the past were things that i think would would nudge us more into the present day so if i take a different measure of popularity which is sales of lonely planet guidebooks um we do have new york up there we do have paris up there but we have iceland it's it's been it's been a perennial uh big big title for us for a while japan is another one despite you know japan for all of its culinary wonders Mm -hmm. i would put myself out there and say that there isn't a comparable thing there isn't a japanese eiffel tower or an empire state Mm -hmm. building or maybe mount fuji um but you know you 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 go to tokyo because it's this fascinating place to go which is so unlike anywhere or any other capital city in the world but you but you're not doing that quite traditional, I'm going to queue, I'm going to go up to level yeah. one of the Eiffel Town, take a photo at level two and take a photo, and then I'm going to go down and I'm going to feel good because I've done yeah. that. Um, and the one other observation on the Eiffel Tower that I would have is um, the last time I went, um, it felt like a very different experience to the first time I mm-hmm. went. Going back there this time, it was a very um, secure place. Felt like somewhere that was bit that was on edge a little bit. Um, and it, it didn't actually feel like a terribly fun and carefree thing to do and I I think that there is increasingly both at the moment and I think this was present before Covid this idea to really strongly associate travel with freedom um, Mm. and 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 to say I'm I'm not so interested in box ticking what what I'm after is an experience that really speaks to me really speaks to things that I want to do so it's a bit of a challenge for publishers and people who make content and and influencers who would be giving out advice on how you actually meet what is much more of a fragmented and kind of varied uh varied picture these days I think it is what people actually want to do in cities and elsewhere Yes, because I was going to ask, in the future, as we call it, digital assistance apparently going to help. So if your flights change, it will change everything ahead of you. It will alter your schedule accordingly and contact the people accordingly. Is this a real thing, the digital assistant? Um, I think we're starting to see the signs of it through reassuringly simple ways, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. So depending on who you're flying with, um, and I've noticed this particularly um, flying through the US, you'll quite often get text message telling you what gate you're at. So that's a start of this sort of, you know, bot type assistance. Um, And there's all kinds of things that that you can do from there. Um, It's, I think, already well established that if something goes wrong with your flight, joining a queue and waiting for two hours might not be the quickest way to deal with that and going Mm -hmm. online and making some changes may well. Um, I think that um, the need for human reassurance is something that is not easily met by by digital assistance. Um, And if you look at um, some of the best regarded airlines like Southwest in the US, they definitely present a human face alongside these kind of technological innovations. What is slow travel and is that a trend that's going to take over by 2035? Okay, I would say in in its purest form, it is about deliberately eschewing express 
rushed journey probably doesn't involve flying anywhere mm-hmm. um might either involve a walking cycling or rail based holiday something mm-hmm. like that um probably just concentrates on on quite quite a small area so you might do a, a slow travel holiday in southern umbria in Italy, <laughs> something like that um you're proper it, it would have an emphasis on on staying in local independent businesses right. yeah, and yeah. eating eating locally sourced food mm-hmm. oh, it sounds great to be i was thinking yeah, i want to be there now <laughs> so, sounds really fantastic i think i had no travel uh holidays as a child though and it's called going to wales and it rained <laughs> boring <laughs> i can only see it being that actually yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, beyond that, we're talking about a very long period of time, I think, for, mm-hmm. for our, the way in which we travel to really substantially change. Right. Um, probably the things that we've got in front of us now as the sort of basic template for a holiday. So the period of time, the range of available destinations, mm-hmm. the way in which you transport yourself and the amount of money that you pay. I think that they're probably more or less set for the next sort of 25, 30 years. And then and then beyond that, we may see some of the sort of wackier things that, that we're talking about coming come, coming to the fore a little bit more. I was going to ask, I mean, an obvious question is, how is climate change going to affect people's choices? Um, so it's going to affect it um, in lots of ways and, and potentially quite profoundly. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it already is affecting it. People who are going on holiday to places in the Mediterranean will mm-hmm. notice that in summer there are higher temperatures earlier and later in the year and more frequent things like um, like forest fires and droughts. Like, so mm-hmm. there you go. You know, that, that's a very clear example of how it's affecting it. There's there's an impact on you know, one of the key reasons that people would travel. Um, so ecotourism. You know, if you're if you're traveling and you want to go and see um, somewhere like, you know, the, the Amazonian rainforest of Brazil, mm-hmm. uh, you know, climate change is clearly going to be having an impact there um, and, the, and the decisions that are taken around it. So it would affect that. I think the appeal of, of destinations um, and I think it, it affects the, the perception of travel generally. There is this ongoing debate about. Um, you know, flying as a as a as a sort of lifestyle choice, yeah. um, and and the way in which it it is something that we can choose to defer at, at Lonely Planet. We we published a book on um, train travel in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. That that book has been a really popular title for us because we see that the enthusiasm for travel is there, um, but the uh, but the enthusiasm for travel which which doesn't prick your conscience is is really strong. Um, so, and again, you know, that, that asks questions about the future because we are not going to be having hydrogen fueled planes that, that have low emissions again for well, that sort of 25 well, to 30. Boeing years. are saying um, they're still uh, researching ultra efficient planes and by 2035, something will be up and running. Do you believe that then or not? Um, something. It, it's highly <laughs> likely that, it, that it's something, um, you know, but, but, the, but the development, um, I suppose, timelines along and the the urgency is now mm. the bit that is the, the bit that's difficult if you look at that in isolation is that travel and tourism is the way that for instance um uh, there is a there is a real justification beyond just the existence fact um for um, preserving species and habitats mm-hmm. around the world. Um, tourism is a great way to get money into the hands of local communities around the world. And in the most cases, that means getting on a plane. 
Um, so it does come down to people's sort of individual views and and um, and concerns about it. But that technology can't arrive soon enough mm, mm. because that because ultimately that's the answer to that question. Um, right. So yeah, it, it's a it's a live debate. It needs more urgent attention, and I see the. I, I see the solutions that are put in as being really very long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where is it going to be impossible to go to? Because apparently some places you can't get insurance for unless you're a zillion. I find this um, an, an interesting and, and actually um, it, it's not really a, a point that's talked about enough at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started work at Lonely Planet in 1999 mm-hmm. and I could go to most places then. You know, if, if I wanted to, for instance, hop on the Trans-Siberian Railway, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go to Moscow and I could get myself there and I could buy a ticket and, and you know, I needed a visa, sure, but off I go. I can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the You know, I, I went to Syria in 20, um, 2011 mm-hmm. and obviously that's been off limits for a really, really long period of time. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, heard that there are some sort of, um, you know, some operators that are thinking about starting again to places right. like Palmyra and I wish them great. Yeah. Great, good luck in that. Yeah. Um, uh, there are destinations that are just too dangerous, um, yeah. and and I think there are there are some that are um, you know very very difficult to get to at the moment. So I mean, like China as a destination right now, it's obviously not a dangerous place to go, mm-hmm. but the, but the COVID situation just makes it hugely right. complicated, and, and yeah. tourism is going to take a long time. It's not it's not really clear how tourism and, and China sort of come back together, as mm-hmm. it were. Um, and and then you've just got a sort of question marks over I think the longer term um, viability of of some places in the world to visit, partly because of climate change. I mean, if it's just too hot to go to some places at certain times of year, um, well, you know, there's there's implications there. And does it change the overall experience if you if if in the past? And sorry, I'm looking very far into the future with a bit of a sort of yeah, bleak, bleak mindset in a way. But, you know, if you were going to view a glacier in the past and the glacier is not there, do you still want to go? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, the, the happy take, the happier take on that mm-hmm. is that if you look at the map of places in the world that you can go to, provided that you are fully vaccinated against COVID, mm-hmm. it's almost totally green. Wow. And 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 it and it obviously hasn't been for the past two years. Um, that's a really really heartening sight to see places like Australia and New Zealand, where people haven't been able to travel into or out mm-hmm. of. Wonderful places to go to, just absolutely fabulous um, destinations. Um, we've got a, a, a lot of the world back <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, you know I, I do think that that. Um, yeah, there's a there's a benefit in the in the connections that we have just when we're, you know, we're sitting down with a with a stranger on a train and and, and chatting away as the as the countryside rolls by, or um, you know, or we're going and learning a language, or we're just trying to you know grow our appreciation and and love for each other. Yeah, well, I found a quote from Simon Calder, who you'll know, mm. the travel expert, do. who does say the best way to travel is cheaply. <laughs> partly this means you can travel more. Partly it means you're not isolated from the host community and get closer to the soul of the place so that is what you're saying i want to ask quickly about virtual reality destinations we're really talking the future sort of brave new world total recall style you you take something or something is done to you and instantly you're off you don't even have to move this is like star trek holodeck Mm, uh i mean i think that that will always be a novelty yeah 
it's it's got its obvious appeal and it could it could open up all kinds of um mm. you know new horizons and old horizons too you know wouldn't it be interesting to go back to elizabethan london or something like that mm-hmm. fascinating um the key thing with that and i think some of the other things that are in this sort of slightly eccentric niche category is just it's expensive to do that and right. and br- and bring that to market so in order for virtual reality to become a real thing Mm. um so you know i might do that once to give it a whirl and 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 you know but but more broadly i think no i'd I'd prefer Mm -hmm. to take the sleeper train to zurich (laughs) um we mentioned spacex um and also i'm hearing that people are discussing building 3d sort of 3d buildings on the moon by using a 3d printer or something is that doable are we going to be going to the moon so i think i think the the idea of commercial space flight Hmm. um is uh you know reaching the sort of i don't know like the same cost as a first class plane ticket i suppose Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's 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 feasible in the next sort of 20 to um 20 to 30 years i I probably still put it on the unlikely scale because i i I don't know if there's enough people who want to have that experience um i just i just don't know um then the idea of of people taking trips to the moon yeah i i i'm going to i'm going to push that one out a little bit i think <laughs> i think i think we're i think we're 100 years off that one 100 years oh, yeah. okay. and and, it, and, and if i'm wrong maybe you could, we could do a 50 year check in on this program or something <laughs> and, and, you, and you can tell me if we think we're we're yeah. we're a long way off on it i will make a note of that now speaking personally as someone who hasn't been on a holiday abroad for about 18 years where would you recommend i go I've got South <laughs> Southern Umbria on my list. Uh, is there anywhere else I should be? Yeah, you should. You should definitely just start somewhere in Italy. Just, just, okay. just go. Just get like get a get a flight to somewhere like Pisa, um, and and then get yourself to you know a place like Orvieto in Umbria and settle in there in the you know the main square at sunset with something nice to drink and something nice to eat and then you'll be pleased that you've gone and done that (laughs) i've made the effort how wonderful oh i want to be there already tom hall thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today thank you thank you for having me it's been great and for those listening there's a new edition of the bunker every morning except fridays when oh god what now is out so please do subscribe i'll be back on saturday as part of the culture bunker our pop culture review show thanks for tuning in see you next time Hello, I'm Ros Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now?, the politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. The Bunker was presented by Sean Patton. Audio production by me, Robin Lee. The producers are Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronayevich, and assistant producer is Kasia Tomaszewicz. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor, Andrew Harrison, and the Bunker theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Listener.